0: There's joy in every journey.
1: Two people at the house sitting there when I found out, I just started screaming, just, like, just yelling like you would have thought I was on the, on the field on game day. That was Baker Mayfield describing what happened when he found out that Odell Beckham Jr. was coming to the Cleveland Browns. Surely Jarvis Landry was a little bit more subdued in his response.
0: I just cried. I called him. (laughs) Um, I I talked to John. I cried with John. (laughs) I cried with Freddie. You know, I mean, like, you know, I know for me, it's something that uh, not only as a player, but, you know, as a person, you know, he's definitely somebody that my life needs, you know, so...
1: Oh, hell. What am I going to do? Criticize you guys? I'm excited for Browns fans. I'm excited for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, I think they've got a full calendar year before they become insufferable to us all, especially if they have success. But right now, the Browns are the favorites in the AFC North, according to Vegas. It's hard arguing against it. You look at that team on paper. And really, one of the only biggest question marks would be, what exactly is freddie kitchens as a head coach especially when it comes to dealing with odell beckham junior and a host of other characters on that team that john dorsey has uh, heaved onto his lap and then run away uh, hoping not to get caught in the crossfire not uh, not literally of course cuz i don't think any of these guys are uh, violent criminals other than allegedly cream hunt uh, but they've all got their share of Concerns, Antonio Callaway, Odell Beckham Jr., and the like, uh, whether they be personality, legal, or otherwise, it's going to be fun. And uh, Baker Mayfield as the ringleader, I actually, I, I think he's going to be just fine handling them. Uh, Baker Mayfield has the personality for this group, and it's it's a bunch of talent out there. Anyway, we got to get into a lot of stuff. I've been gone a while. I apologize to everybody. I know you've heard ads on radio.com over and over and over again and uh and, and those are getting a little unbearable for me. I, I I tuned in to listen to Mike Francesa the other day and I heard an ad for myself and and I thought I'm not uh I'm not doing this thing three times a week right now. I've had some issues. My sinus my sinuses are all messed up and I'm gonna have to have a procedure in a couple of weeks. So I've been laying low and not doing too much while I try to recoup my energy and keep my voice from falling to hell. So A whole bunch of stuff has happened, obviously. Since last we spoke, one of the biggest things has been Rob Gronkowski announcing his retirement. And uh, he's received a whole bunch of adulation, as he should. I'll say this. What am I supposed to do? Cry? Am I supposed to cry about Rob Gronkowski being gone? He's terrorized this league for a decade. And Bill Belichick, in his damn tendency to reinvent and redefine positions, did with Gronk what he did with Welker. He just took a position that was really underutilized, found somebody who was freakishly adept at exploiting it, and then terrorized the league with him for a decade while paying him less than other players who weren't nearly as adequate. Think about how many receivers made more money than Rob Gronkowski simply because Rob Gronkowski was a tight end. It's um, it's just it's the most Patriots thing ever. In terms of whether he's the best tight end ever, I I know a lot of it just depends on what your criteria are because you can look at Tony Gonzalez um and and his receptions and his productivity. Uh, not to mention his longevity, I suppose, if that's what you're looking for. Uh, and and he's got Gronkowski beat in several regards there, in the passing game. But Tony Gonzalez was just never even close to the type of blocker that Rob Gronkowski was. And I think Gronkowski's size is something that probably can't be appreciated without seeing him up close and in person. Um because even when you know when you see him in photos, he looks very very lithe. You know he's a big dude. He's muscular. He's fit, but he doesn't he doesn't necessarily look like a bulky dude. It doesn't really do service to just how rangy and long and huge this guy is. And the the closest comparison I could make in terms of physical size would probably be a guy I played with, Kyle Brady, who'd been a first round choice to the New York Jets back in the nineties. And and Kyle Kyle actually had to be told not to lift too much like he had to be careful with lifting too much because he'd get too bulky and he'd get too big like Kyle easily could have weighed 315 pounds and been an offensive tackle that might have been a better choice for him actually like he might have made more money because uh, back then offensive tackles like well like now the the good ones are making more than the best tight ends um Kyle didn't have the hands that Gronk did I'll tell you Kyle Kyle Okay, so Kyle played at Penn State. Somewhere along the way at Penn State, he got super religious. And when he got super religious, he decided that he wasn't going to have sex. Which, okay, yeah, that's normal. Uh, And he also was going to be very devout and very public about not doing anything. Anything. Trying to keep this clean for the kids. Uh, Anything that might lead to... Uh, well, okay, ear must for the kids. Uh, he wasn't going to masturbate. He wasn't going to do anything, uh, anything at all. So Kyle, who was like, uh, he was devoutly religious and a great guy, but we always kind of wondered like, all right, is this dude really doing nothing with women or by, by himself to uh, have any kind of release or relief or anything? And, like, I had no doubt that he really tried to and that he was serious about that because he was, like, Kyle was a genuinely really good dude. Wasn't, didn't judge other people or anything. Just very religious, very serious about it, but also just a very genuine person. So, Kyle never had the greatest hands. And, uh, and, and you know, they, they'd throw to him uh, grudgingly almost just to try to remind people that he was a receiving threat. He got married, and I swear to God... After that offseason that he got married, he showed up up at camp and he was catching everything, like reeling in one-handed passes, tiptoeing on the sideline, just catching everything in sight, and that's where I realized, okay Kyle Kyle was definitely serious about not having any release because he must have been wound tighter than than anything uh, to the point where he couldn't even get his fingertips to work properly after he got married and and was fulfilling his marital obligations everything was just fine so uh, lesson is Gronk never had that issue I'm almost positive Gronk who listed his hobbies in his high school yearbook as working out playing sports and chicks uh, I don't think Gronk ever had that issue thus his deft hands his un Kyle Brady like hands another story about Kyle that comes to mind as it relates to the Patriots. And I feel bad for Jets fans that are going to hear this story right now. Uh, Kyle got drafted in the first round by the New York Jets. You think, wow, they spent a first round pick on a tight end. They must, they must think pretty highly of the tight end position, right? His rookie year, he didn't have a position coach. He bounced between the receivers and the offensive line, and it was pretty much left to his own devices, just astounding, astounding uh, mismanagement of a draft pick in his development. And he ended up being a much better tight end with the Jaguars, I think, than, than the Jets, and you can see for obvious reasons. I don't, I don't know who drafted him, maybe it was Kotite, uh, so take it up with tight next time you see him. The big question that remains now, of course, for the Patriots is who replaces Gronkowski. Uh, I I wonder if they trade for a, a tight end because they've done that a couple years. What They traded for Martellus Bennett a couple years ago. And then they twated, traded for Dwayne Allen last year. I heard Kyle Rudolph potentially uh, being mentioned. I'd be really surprised if the Vikings let go of Kyle Rudolph. They're not in the best cap situation, but they also don't have any issues trading to somebody in the AFC, I would imagine. Um, and, and maybe that works out right now. The two tight ends they have on their roster are, oh gosh, I can't even remember if it's Steven Anderson and I only know him because he used to play for the Texans. Uh, and we saw him here. Nice kid, not a Gronk replacement, and somebody else. So like, there's, there's no noticeable or recognizable names uh, at the tight end position right now for the New England Patriots. Which is kind of freaky if you think about it for a team that's used the tight end so effectively. I expect that to change. Uh, or, or obviously they take one of these stud kids from Iowa or something in the draft. If they get to him or if they can trade up. But expect some movement there. The other big development in the NFL uh, since we spoke last would be the rules change that now pass interference calls, even non-calls on pass interference calls, are all going to be reviewable now, Now, either by Coach's Challenge or by the booth in the last couple minutes of the half or the game. Uh, I am cautiously optimistic about this, and I'm going to tell you why. I think that given technology right now, things have just reached a fevered pitch and look it's it's not like you needed high definition television to see that 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 the Saints got jobbed right like we could have seen that in standard def and without 29 different camera angles but i read this article the other day about how it's getting harder and harder to find people to volunteer to be officials at the lower ranks, like in high school and in Florida and Georgia, supposedly they're having to reschedule games because it's so hard to find refs. And one of the directors of officials in one of those States said that this happens every time there's huge criticism in the NFL it filters down to the lower levels where people the the abuse starts in at the lower levels like they hear the they hear their favorite media members on ESPN and whatnot uh criticizing the officials and, uh, and, and then they in turn start crushing the local officials and local officials say, well, you know what, screw this, this isn't worth it. I got Netflix, I got Hulu, uh, I got other things I can be doing on a Friday or Saturday night than taking abuse from the rubes in the crowd. So they're having a hard time filling it out. It's, I don't know if that, that's never going to change. I mean, it's human nature, but I do think that they can incorporate this new review process without it actually opening some pandora's box where all these calls are being debated all the time for one because there are still coaches limits there's still limits to the coaches challenge and two frankly because of the i guess I'll call it success or at least the the non issue that last year's rule change was which was the using the helmet as a weapon rule that they made much much more strict last year and remember do you remember do you even remember last offseason when everybody was freaking out and and flying off the handle about how unbearable the sport of football was going to be with this new rule and after training camp there was barely a word about it. I, off the top of my head, I'm having a hard time really remembering any notable... Oh, I can remember a couple. um, But really not many controversial calls in, involving the lowering of the helmet. So I think that this is going to be... I think it's going to be done pretty well. It's, it feels weird to say that I think the NFL is going to handle something like this really well. And I would by no means ever say that I have complete and total faith in them, but I think they know how to walk that fine line between changing the rules and making it so extreme that there's nothing you can do about it. Um, there will be controversy. Don't get me wrong, but at least, at least people will feel like they have some control in the matter. The worst thing about the Saints' non-call at the end of, uh, in the fourth quarter of their game, was that it felt like a complete and total loss of control over the situation, that you could be wrong so egregiously and there was just no avenue to try to make it right. They're certainly not going to get it right all the time even with review. We've seen that before. Um but I think it's one step closer towards not at least feeling there there's less of a chance of a team getting completely and totally screwed than there was last year. So that's uh that's minor incremental improvement. So Let's get to some of these questions. We'll have some interviews uh, now Now that I'm supposed to be doing three of these a week. Uh, I can't be talking into a microphone by myself. And I apologize for the quality of this, too. I'm using my janky microphone while I wait for my good microphones to be sent back from the shop. I did a very adult thing, and my, my microphones needed some repairs that I could have handled by paying money. But I realized, oh, they're under warranty. I'm going to send them away, and then I'm going to wait and get them back. So there you go. Seth Payne, adult. Let's see. On Twitter, black slash window, widow, window, black slash window asks, <laughs> All right, fine. Uh, why do we attempt to have discussions on such complex topics as race and inequality in America when the general listening audience, uh, i.e., Americans, are generally uneducated and lack common sense? Why would anyone of sound mind expect resolution and discuss? Um, All right, all right, backslash. I don't think you thought I was going to answer this. But, funny enough, I actually was reading an article uh, about literacy in the United States. So I don't know if that's the same as being educated or not. Um, But I think there's a – I was both surprised, like, uh, both in a positive and a negative way when it comes to how intelligent are people today versus how were they back in the day. So this was concerning the book Common Sense by Thomas Paine. And back in the 1770s, I think they estimated literacy at about 85% of the population, which is better than I would have expected. And then they figured that the number of copies sold in the first year that Common Sense was out was somewhere between 10 to 20% of the population of the colonies. So I don't know how many of those those sales went overseas or what have you, but then you factor in also the fact that that book wasn't just read by the people who owned the copies that they read it to other people so this this seminal piece of literature in american history was probably consumed by over half the population of the united states and then when you when you read have you read common sense lately have you read it since like 7th grade where you had to read some excerpts i i i don't have it here in front of me ridiculously hard to understand i'm a pretty literate person but i think i think back in the day what you had was of the people who were literate i think there were more like a larger percentage of them were highly literate like every right now 95 plus percent of americans can read at an adult level but i'm guessing that you know maybe maybe 10 15 20 percent of them read at a high level it seems like back then, if you read you you uh, you got pretty damn good at reading, which makes sense too because the the amount of things that you could be entertained by in your spare time were very, very small. You had like the, the your cousin playing the banjo on the porch, you had sing alongs and you had like the town fool or something I guess I guess that's more of an English thing, and then you could read or have somebody read to you so it makes sense that I think people. Probably were more literate, even even without actually reading, but just in co- in conversation, in attention span, all those things. I, I guess they probably were more literate. And nowadays, it's so easy to read things in small spurts, and it's so easy to be entertained or or like fool ourselves into thinking we're being informed by watching 10 minutes of television or listening to a podcast for 30 minutes or whatever it might be, that uh, there's that. And I I guess I'm not answering your question. Why would anyone of my sound mind, expect resolution? Uh, I guess, why would you ever expect resolution in anything? Even back when people were theoretically way more intelligent, it's not like the vast majority of Americans were for the revolution. A bunch of people read Common Sense and 40% of Americans were for the revolution, 40% of Americans were against it, 20% were just kind of like, hey, uh, I'm going to see what happens here, if, if I remember correctly. Somebody correct me if those aren't the numbers. So expecting resolution, I guess, is your biggest problem. Whether we're dumb or stupid, uh, it's not like smart people always agree all the time. I can look at either party, political party, and find a whole bunch of people that are equally smart and uh, definitely smarter than me on either side. It's a matter of perspective. Jesus Christ, stick to football, Seth. All right, here. right, let's find a football question. Let's see, Ian Bag asks, should all football contracts be guaranteed like baseball? That's a dicey question, because for one, you know, in, in basketball, I'm not so sure about baseball, in basketball, contracts aren't guaranteed by the CBA. Like, it, there's no rule that contracts have to be guaranteed. It's just kind of precedent that, Most contracts, the vast majority of contracts, are guaranteed. I think the biggest thing you run into with football always, and it always will be, is that the risk of injury makes it a lot harder for teams to want to guarantee a salary completely or a contract completely. But what we've seen in the last few years, especially with free agency contracts, is that you can call a contract a five-year contract all you want. The majority end up being done within three years, and a huge number... Of five or six year contracts and free agency now are done after just two years so it's it's all about the guaranteed money and it's gotten to that point where I think people uh the really smart cap people seem to just talk about contracts almost completely in terms of what is the guaranteed money how much of the money is is paid out in the first two or three years of the contract um Your realistic guarantees, all of that. So I don't think you'll ever have full guarantees. I know one thing that's going to come up in the next collective bargaining and agreement, which which people are starting to actually feel pretty optimistic about, Um, given the tone between players and the owners right now. It's a little bit more congenial, I think, than probably it was with the same timeline before the last negotiation. Part of that has to do just because there's so much revenue that's coming in with streaming, with gambling, all that. Like People are pretty bullish on the economic future of the NFL. But uh, aside from all that, there's one rule right now that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, that when a team guarantees a contract, they have to hold that value of the contract in escrow. So, like if I guarantee $50 million to a player, I've got to take that $50 million in cash that'll eventually be paid to him and put it in an escrow account. And if there's one thing I know about billionaires it's they do not like having fifty billion dollars of cash tied up in some account that bear that 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 generates minimal interest um, when that money could be invested elsewhere and it's it's a holdover from back in the day when you had to worry about the economic viability of some of these franchises you know back in the day you had guys that they might own a beer distributorship and a franchise. They might have a few car dealerships in a franchise. They weren't billionaires back then, and they needed to worry about. Actually, like a team's ability to pay the to pay the to make payroll, um, you don't have to worry about that anymore. So it's kind of foolish that they still have this holdover rule. I think that has a good chance of changing, and because of that, that's one more disincentive removed from whether or not teams can and will play guaranteed pay guaranteed contracts. And I think you're you've already seen a movement towards just caring about the guarantees, a lot of the other stuff is just window dressing for the agents to make it look good, or for players to have their egos stoked, um, or just to, to spread some of the guaranteed money out towards the back end of the contract. But I don't think it's as big an issue as, as sometimes people like to make it seem. The other part, too, that, and this annoys me sometimes when I hear it coming from players, is some of the disparity in salaries between football, basketball, and baseball it really does boil down to, it's as simple as like there's 53 active guys on a football team with more revenue than baseball or basketball, but many, many more mouths to feed. So when you see what the highest salaries are in baseball versus the highest salaries in football or the average salaries, I guess uh, more importantly, there's just a, there's, it needs to be parsed out mathematically. Baseball and basketball have better CBAs in a lot of respects, but it's not as extreme as, Sometimes people make it out to be. And speaking of high salaries, this is one thing uh, where I will never get jealous of players for the money that they increasingly make. It's awesome. I think it's it's really, really cool that so many guys are, are able to retire earlier, perhaps, than... After their bodies are all beat to hell, the one thing that I am jealous of with modern football players compared to what it was like for me back in 1997 is that these guys have all sorts of jeans that actually fit them now. They make so many jeans for athletic cut guys, like with big butts and big legs and whatnot. Where back in our day, you'd have to you'd have to get like jeans made for somebody with a a a fifty waist to fit your legs, and, uh, and it was miserable. You'd have to cinch them up with a belt. Nothing looked good. I saw a picture of Ed Oliver standing on top of a horse the other day, and everybody else is oohing and on about the fact that this guy's standing on top of a of a horse. I couldn't get over the fact that the dudes were in skinny jeans that actually fit him. God bless you, Ed Oliver, and God bless everybody else, and God bless uh, these, these stretchy materials that make jeans more comfortable. Let's see. Andre asks a serious question. Uh, let's see. At HP Dell sixty five. Now that I'm over fifty, I'm convinced that every time I forget something, that I'm getting Alzheimer's. Lately, your comments seem to mirror with CTE. Slightly concerned? Question mark. Um, sorry, about that I, I don't know why I pronounce this the question mark. This is for me doing voice to text so much. I've started, and this isn't a CTE thing. This is a this is a this is very much a voice to text thing. Like I'll find myself talking to my daughter in. And I'll say, like, could you take the garbage out, question uh, mark. And it's uh, it's very unsettling for everybody involved. That's not CTE. I just blame technology for that. Uh, when you say my comments mirror CTE, are you saying that I'm exhibiting signs? Or maybe on, on my radio show, you've heard me be concerned about CTE. I make a lot of jokes about CTE, which maybe I shouldn't do. But I feel like since I'm the, the potentially affected group, I, uh, I just go ahead and, and have fun with it. Uh, I am concerned about brain trauma, as I think anybody that's had repeated hits to the head should be. I do think that the research is much more in the infancy than some people who get funding for CTE would want you to believe. And and I think because of that, there are a lot of players that I'm concerned start to just kind of throw in the towel when it comes to their mental health. Um, and that they might see signs of really what, what they fear is CTE, but what might be normal, normal, uh, for one, Hey, you're 40 or 50 or 60 years old. Um, two might be the signs of something at the beginning, but something that can be managed properly. And I don't want to get too far into the weeds on this. Uh, maybe at some point I'll interview a neurologist on the podcast about it, but, uh, there, there are, uh, Bunch of neurologists who have a healthy skepticism about, okay, how are we telling what is CTE versus what is dementia versus what is Alzheimer's? And if I'm looking at this brain scan and I see a certain amount of plaque in a, in a quiet area of the brain that shouldn't affect anything at all, why are you calling that CTE? Um and and why are you feeding into this notion that ninety percent of NFL players are going to get CTE? Personally, I haven't seen that. I know a lot of ex-NFL players, and the numbers that some of these researchers are claiming does not match up with my personal experience. For whatever that's worth, and we'll learn more about this over the next uh, the coming decades, I'm sure because there's a whole lot of money out there to research it right now. Uh oh, but God, God, this stuff is a downer. Let's get into something better. Eric Humphreys asks, where'd you go, Eric Humphreys? I've lost you. I've lost Eric Humphreys. Is Sean going to be a weekly guest again? Also, are you going to do any non-sports related podcasts? Yes and yes. Sean and I got to get back on the same schedule and get back into it. Uh, Sean Pendergast and I have an awesome time doing these together. Very Cavallari is ongoing right now. And that's how Sean and I first started this last year was watching Very Cavalry. And, and doing reviews. So yes, we will be doing non sports related. We consider Very Cavalieri a non sports related podcast, even though we watch it exclusively because of Jay Cutler. Uh, Jay Cutler. Through the first two episodes, I think I watched the first three episodes so far. Uh, I've got to catch up on them. Jay Cutler is much more heavily featured this season, as both Sean and I recommended the producers do. Uh, We, we may as well have written a letter to them, uh, with pen and paper because we felt that strongly enough about it that Jay Cutler, Jay Cutler has a sly and dry sense of humor that Frankly, blows me away. I never would have anticipated that he's as funny as he is, but he's really genuinely funny. Um, And he has also he's got a softer heart than I thought he would. He masks it with a stoic exterior, but he seems like he's a, a pretty good dude that actually cares about his family quite a bit. And also Kristen Cavallari, very impressed. Uh, she's a she is a fierce business person, and uh, I admire her ambitiousness and I admire, uh, like all the various, I basically, I admire the schedule that she keeps up because I, I just get so sleepy. I get so sleepy all the time. And she seems like one of these people that goes, goes, goes 18 hours a day. So, uh, good for both of them. We will talk a lot more non sports stuff. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, this I need to do this podcast for my sanity. I, I I talk about sports for four hours a day, and a lot of it's just simply on football. So we'll, this will be a football podcast, but we'll interview a whole bunch of other people too um, and, and kind of branch outside of it. And uh, if, you, if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. I'll try to segment them into, you know, it, one day it'll be a heavy football day. One day is going to be me interviewing a comedian. One day it might be me interviewing a scientist or something. So if you don't want that, you won't have to waste five minutes downloading it. Today was kind of a hodgepodge and all over the place. But thanks everybody for your patience. Uh, I'm going to get this balloon sinuplasty sometime in the next few weeks. Hopefully, I'll stop getting sinus infections like every other week. Uh, and uh, and this will take care of it and uh, I'll have a fun story to tell you about the balloon sinuplasty but but for now I've got to keep up with what these ads are claiming is which is that I have to do three of these a week so we'll be getting three a week because I don't I don't want to get fired I know you guys don't want me to get fired one last question somebody asked if uh, Josh Ennis and I are BFFs now Um, I don't know honestly Um, Josh and I have exchanged texts a little bit over like the last month or two and uh, actually starting at the Super Bowl We we ran past each other. We didn't run into each other, but we were near each other uh, at the airport, and uh, that's a story we could tell. Maybe maybe I'll have Josh on, or I'll go on Josh's show. But uh, you know, Josh and I, Josh and I are both. I'm middle aged now. Josh isn't middle-aged, um, but he'll, he'll be there eventually. I'm almost positive of it. And uh, it's, it's, it's no way to live your life. For those of you that don't know, Josh and I, um, just just YouTube it. Look for it on YouTube. YouTube, Seth Payne, Josh and I. It's not one of my, it's not one of my favorite moments, but just go ahead and just, just search for it, and and you'll see. And probably like one of the moments I'm least proud of in my life, even though I know a lot of our listeners uh, liked it. But something I'd like to move past and uh, get on the same uh, just get back together and have some kind of a friendly relationship with Josh. All right, everybody. Take it easy. I will see you Wednesday.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget.